So Nick, we're here today to have our third annual WWDC episode, and it's kind of hard yeah. to believe that after all this time, we've only done 18 episodes and the one lost episode, but we're kind of back where we started. Yeah, there's a there's a lot to unpack in this episode, but um, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a good one. Yeah, and I think uh, more than any other of the keynotes in the past, Apple had so much to talk about. And I think I would say that there was more information covered in the shortest amount of time of, of any Apple keynote. I think um, I feel like they were going as quickly as they could to get through everything. Yeah, they even had to stop some of the um, applause and cheers. <laughs> yeah, I felt which like... Always, which is kind of always makes me feel a little weird whenever there's sustained applause during these events. Yeah, I felt like they would announce a huge feature and it would be on the slide for like a second. And then they were like, okay, it's time to move on. We got a long way to go. Yeah, yeah I mean, they covered... I mean, services is kind of a a bigger thing now. And so they have a lot more that they can cover, you know, as opposed to before they were mainly focused more on hardware, which, you know, they still are. But in a lot of respects, they're they're kind of going back and forth more. Yeah, I think one of the main functions of that and why they're so focused on services is because, you know, Wall Street wants to see that recurring revenue. And if you're selling hardware once every couple of years, that growth path just doesn't look as good to Wall Street. And I think ultimately the move into services is hugely important for Apple. And I think that's why that's where they began. I mean, you can tell they took a lot of attention to detail with a lot of these um, services that we're going to talk about. First, do you want to talk about For All Mankind? Yeah, so it's it's really interesting. So I think that Apple got a lot of flack after their March event when they went over the services the first time because when they got to Apple TV Plus, they didn't really show anything. So this Mm -hmm. time, Tim Cook came out, and I feel like he was super excited to talk about For All Mankind, and it looks like a really interesting alternate history documentary in which the space race not only never ended, but the Soviet Union beat the United States to the moon. And it reminds me of that uh, Amazon show. Man in the High Castle? Man in the High Castle. But different time period, different countries. Well, one different country. It's going to be good. I mean, it looks intense. Like the scenes that they showed in the trailer, looked, I like the actors. Um, it's done by the guy who did Battlestar Galactica and Star Trek, Ron Moore. Yeah. So uh it's it the the quality of it's 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 really good. Yeah, I feel like they knew their audience, right? They didn't really talk about the other shows, but I think when you're at a developer conference to start with kind of a nerdy sci-fi, it's never a bad call. Yeah, that's true. They kind of blew through TVOS and you know they touched on Apple Arcade and they said it's coming. They said Apple TV Plus is coming. And then they kind of, after that, they went into tvOS a little bit more. And I was happy to see that there is going to be multi-user support, including those specialized recommendations. 
Yeah. So especially for someone like you, you have a kid, you know, watching, you know, he wants to watch his shows. He doesn't, he might not get suggestions of shows that like he has, has no interest in or vice versa. Like, you yeah, might, it's never good if you're being recommended Adventure Time and your son is being recommended The Sopranos. Yeah. <laughs> but I think the most important thing that they showed off, so they also showed off that Apple Music will now display lyrics in real time, which that was cool. AKA karaoke mode. Yeah. So basically, it's a, it turns your Apple TV into a karaoke machine. But after Apple's still insisting on not creating their own hardware controller to go with Apple Arcade and all the other games that are available on the Apple TV, I'm happy to see that they're supporting not only the Xbox One controller, but the PlayStation 4 controller. So I think we both got a little love there. Yeah, that's that's true. And I, I, I saw that and I immediately thought that they're, they might turn Apple TV into a gaming machine, a la the failed Ouya um, gaming console, which was for Android-type games. But I think with the support of uh, these third-party controllers... You know, and not making their own. They're kind of saving a lot of, a lot of cost and a lot of uh, engineering time and and all that stuff. So I think it's I think it's a smart move. I mean, if they're gonna have Apple Arcade be a thing, it's a lot easier to get into it if you already have a controller. You don't have to buy something else, yeah. which is kind of on Apple. Yeah, I think that they um, they haven't really done enough to tell us why we should play games on the Apple TV. And that remote is already kind of a piece. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. using that thing to play a game is just, I feel like a non-starter. And rather than having, yeah, (laughs) yeah. And and rather than going out and trying to buy some other controller, it's so much, I I think it's a smart play for them on the services side because if they want to sell these services, and not have to have some kind of hardware component beyond the Apple TV itself. I mean, plus, you don't want to go buy some crappy controller. So the fact that you're able to use that, I think that's perfectly in line with their services agenda. They kind of burned through TVOS pretty quickly, and yeah, I think that was kind of more of a tack on to like what they had already gone over. Yeah, it was just a nod to their services. They're like, it's still a thing, it's still coming. <laughs> now let's move on to the platforms that you know all you developers are here that don't work for one mm-hmm. of the five major streaming services. Yeah, and um, so. The next thing that they talked about was watchOS. And I think the overarching theme of the keynote for watchOS is we're putting some space in between watchOS and iOS, meaning we're making the watch more independent. And I think that's great because every time I use my watch without my phone around, I feel like the utility is increased and it works better because it has a more reliable data connection. So, yeah. I'm I'm really excited that they are um, allowing the apps to be more independent and the fact that you're able to find those apps and download them directly on the watch through the new 
uh, watch app store. I think that'll be cool. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, I think having the apps an app store on the watch makes a lot of sense uh, for that very reason. Like, you, I mean, if it has a cellular data connection, it has connection to the internet. And if I don't know if uh, if it's going to have all of the same apps, you know, but just being able to separate them, I think, makes the watch a lot more valuable. And it makes a, a lot more appealing for people who are kind of maybe on the edge of getting a wearable device, you know, like myself, who got yeah. a Fitbit, which which was much cheaper. Yeah. And, and I think the next step in the process is really um, complete independence of of the Apple Watch. I think that, you know, Android Wear has really been struggling. And I don't I don't think that anybody has made a piece of hardware that is ref, as refined as the Apple Watch. And the Android Wear software is, is nowhere near as refined. And um, I think they're, I don't know if Apple will do this because I think that they like having users who have the Apple Watch have to buy an iPhone. I mean, I, I think that they always enjoy well, yeah. a good lock-in like that. But the flip side of that is not only did they say that Apple Watch is the biggest watch in the world, but that market could be bigger if they opened it up. I mean, there's like half the smartphone uh, population more than half is Android. Yeah. More than half. So, I mean, there's, if you can just make that work on its own in some form, then there you go. You, you're making a lot more money. <laughs> do you think that Apple, uh, excuse me, do you think that Android users would like to use an Apple watch? I mean, I know there's Android users that like to use Apple music which I th- was kind of weird to me. If I had an Android, I'd, I don't know. I feel like, you know, like you'd get the same amount of support for Spotify. And I feel like a lot more Android users, if you, if you're an Android user, your friends m- more or less, you know, are probably going to be Android users. So I don't know. I'm not sure exactly. I mean, if, if it becomes more independent, it might be, if you can work with Android, that that would be insane. I don't know if that's going to be a thing, though. Well, another thing that would um, help Apple, I think, is it would also be another way for people to use iMessage more. You know, I feel like there mm-hmm. are a lot of Android users who have Macs, and if they were able to get those messages and you know communicate with their friends that are on iMessage and I'm specifically thinking about group chats because, you know, group chats are really weird if you've got an Android user in it. So, yeah, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Do you know anybody that? No. Well, you're lucky. Not not in group chats. No. It's happened to me before and it's a nightmare, but yeah. Also, did you stop talking to that person? (laughs) I mean, I wanted to because you can't leave the chat. Like you can't leave like (laughs) a a lot of the functions that you get in iMessage. You throw one Android user in there. Yeah. Yeah. it's, it's, It's a nightmare. That's annoying. And they also introduced some new watch faces. And uh, they had a new gradient face, which was kind of like the Hermes watch face that they had with the kind of two-tone colors that move around. I thought I thought mm. that one was interesting. The large numeral is not for me because yeah, I, I, I like more information on the screen. And I think the larger the numeral, obviously, the less information you're having. Um, mm mm-hmm. But I thought it was interesting with those large numeral faces that they did have support for right to left numbers. So Arabic numbers that are not, you know, Western Arabic numbers like ours. 
and um i i think hebrew as well um the california dial was just pretty ugly i didn't really like that one and i didn't really care about the new digital face but the new solar face was really interesting to me yeah that one really caught my eye uh just knowing exactly where the sun is at all times is kind of cool yeah and I, I like how it moves the clock face around as the sun moves around and you can also have the digital version of that as well so i think that improves readability and also that's a good use of a screen you know having static mm -hmm. yeah uh complications and things on a watch face is like this is digital you don't have to have a static image it's not yeah, made especially out of metal. On something like the yeah. apple watch yeah i mean i, I don't know it, the, the apple watch is getting cooler and cooler I don't know if I'm quite quite ready to get one, but I know more people who don't have them that keep like I talk to and they say like, yeah, I don't know, I might, I might get one, I might get one now. So what's keeping you personally from getting one? I don't really need. I feel like I have a need for one because I have a Fitbit and I get my messages. I can I can't respond to them, but I can I see all my email. Um, it tells me which how to go home. Because Apple Maps, you know, I get all I get all my notifications that I need, and I I kind of like not being able to respond via my wrist. I feel like in the past like few years or so, I've I've been struggling uh, with trying to you know separate myself from my phone more. I've done a pretty good job at it. Like I I usually set my phone away from myself when I'm home, and I take my watch off actually too. But when I'm at work or something, and you know I get it. Or I'm driving, you know, like I can see all my notifications. I I know exactly when they when I get something, which is kind of nice. But I don't, I don't know if I'm ready to jump to like using it as my phone. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to keep a balance there. So are not you quite ready yet? Are you a traditional watch wearer at all? I I was for a long time, um, and then I wasn't for a while until I got my Fitbit. The Apple Watch is definitely not a necessary accessory. It's nice, and I find that it actually allows me some separation from my phone. Um, I often like to take walks at work, and when I do, you know, if I'm working on a complex issue or I've just been on conference calls or in meetings or something like that, it's kind of nice to set my phone down for a minute and just focus on my health and be like, hey, that was a cool 15-minute walk, you know? And yeah. it's kind of, I, I guess it goes back to the kind of pleasure center of your brain. You get that endorphin rush of like, oh yes, I just accomplished something for me that wasn't just about work, which is, which is sometimes nice. Yeah. yeah you gotta, you gotta keep that going. Yep. So talk to me about extended runtime. Yep. So extended runtime. So the Apple watch apps have really been dependent on their kind of mothership containers apps that live on your iphone and what that and, and the watch is it's got a very small battery so watch os is very aggressive with shutting down background processes and with an extended runtime what that means for your app is that it can stay open longer and stay active in the in ram so that allows for richer and uh longer uh, interactions and tracking and things of that nature. Yeah. I didn't know that it, um, that it 
did that, that it would kill your apps. Yeah, I, I think it's just because it has a tiny battery, but I feel like really with the Series 4 and, you know, the latest chips in there, they're really optimized maybe too heavily on the power saving size, and they should go more towards the functionality side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's another improvement that will help it separate itself too. If yeah. it's not having to kill apps all the time to save battery, it can just kind of function as a, a, a mini iPhone. Yeah, like a little hovercraft. Yeah. They also added a couple new health features to watch us that I thought was really interesting. And one of them is a noise app and it also comes with a noise complication. And, and basically it's kind of always listening and that can sound creepy, but Apple says that, you know, it's not sending any audio anywhere. It's just listening or recording it. Yeah. It's not it's recording. Just it's passive. just, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's just passive monitoring. So it can kind of tell you, in real time if you've been in a loud environment and that kind of tracks back to your health trend so that you can see um you know what damage you're doing to your health so ear health is is a theme in 2019 which is interesting yeah yeah they they uh talked about that which is really cool i i think i would use that at concerts or you know at a preds hockey game or something like that that would be really neat to just always know, like I, I remember noise apps that were that I had on my my phone that I was I was in you know in college taking audio classes and I was really interested in that um, maybe a lot more than I am now. But I think having something like that would be cool. Is this going to be on the iPhone too, or is it just on Apple Watch? I think it's just on Apple Watch. But one okay. thing I was thinking is, you know, if they had an API for the noise app that only did passive listening you could do things and and this may already be a thing but i don't know but maybe you could do like a guitar tuner on your watch and you could flip the watch Mm -hmm. around to where it it was on the inside of your wrist and you could tune and see just by looking down so i think it would kind of be a a security risk but if they were able to lock it down and make sure that Mm -hmm. it wasn't sending well and and, you know you can go further and say like maybe you're taking voice lessons and you're practicing your pitch and maybe it could tell you even pitch at that point if it can tune a guitar you know it would take a little bit more more effort on the apps part but still i mean i feel like that can be done that'd be cool yep and the other app that they talked about was cycle tracking for uh feminine health and i think that that is you know a really underserved part of the market and i think that if you're able to stay on top of that health whether you're trying to just monitor your cycle or if you know you and your partner are trying to have a baby and you're getting those Mm -hmm. fertility notifications that's that's super helpful there's all kinds of people that that struggle with that and it's it's i'm I'm just really glad to, to see apple being more inclusive in their software design whereas you know not all companies do that yeah i thought that was really cool i mean i i can't personally relate to having that need but i can imagine i can put myself in a woman's shoes and say like you know i, I have to keep track of that anyway you know having that makes it so much easier and this is actually going to be also on your iPhone. So even mm-hmm. if you don't have a watch, it's in the health app yep. um, on every, everyone's iPhone. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And, and, and you know, we'll kind of get into it later with 
with uh, iOS and and macOS, but accessibility is always a thing, and being more inclusive yes. that's that's always a thing with with Apple, and I'm happy to see the um, cycle tracking as well as the um, voice control, which which we'll talk about later. So they kind of burn through Apple Watch, right? And mm-hmm. uh, again, it was a breakneck pace because they ha- I feel like they basically had a checklist of everything that everybody's asked for and they thought this is the year we're going to check all the boxes. iOS checked quite so a few. many boxes. <laughs> um more that we didn't even uh the, they didn't even get to but uh a lot of welcome changes and additions I think that it's hard that would be hard to argue with for for anyone really. So I mean, so talk to me about yeah. dark mode a little bit. Well, I actually uh, was able to experience it today. Um, an intern at, at work had, a, had an old um, 6S device. Nice. That he um, put a developer, his developer account on uh, so he could download the, the beta. Now, this is not the public beta that um, will be available after the next developer beta comes out so you have to pay for this but he develops apps and stuff like that so uh it was cool i i checked out messages and photos and everything it's it's dark pretty dark it's like black <laughs> so, a lot of dark modes aren't necessarily truly like that dark you know well you know with the oled screens on the iphone 10 and the 10s it's a huge battery saving i think that yeah if you have any color at all you know there's dark mode and then there's mm-hmm. Darth Vader dark mode, which is also yeah. a power saving mode, which mm-hmm. I, I personally really like. Yeah. And uh, the same guy at work that I was talking to him about it and he, he had a theory that, um, for, so it's, it's taken Apple a while to put dark mode on my phone. And whenever it's an OLED screen, it's turning off the pixels to make the black, which is that's how it saves power, uh, but it, it made a lot of the animations and app um, uh, functionality a little bit uh, slower because I had to keep turning turning the pixels back on. Interesting. So it's it might not necessarily be a hundred percent off. It might be like seventy five, eighty percent off. So it doesn't have to do as much legwork to turn back on. So it's a little bit smoother and faster in the. Um, user experience i'm not i don't know if that's true but um it seems pretty black when i used it it could also be you know this is the first beta so maybe they're maybe they are still having to optimize that i i mean i know Mm -hmm. uh they spent a lot of time optimizing the speed of um not only face id but two times two times faster app launches i mean yeah and yeah i mean 30 percent faster face id unlock like everything seems to be getting faster and faster these are the kind of performance gains that you see when apple releases new hardware so Mm -hmm. for them to come out and and talk about these performance games just with a software update update. it's yeah it's impressive shaving off that many milliseconds i mean these are kind of numbers that you get whenever they they announce a new chip yeah or the new iphone yeah so i thought that was just 
really impressive. So they stated mm-hmm. two times faster app launches, 30% faster face ID unlock, 50% smaller downloads, and 60% smaller app updates. So they must be some doing some kind of app thinning too with the downloads mm-hmm. or just downloading more stuff on demand. Yeah, which is something you should really expect from a technology company when they're um, releasing software that it, it should improve. But those are those are big numbers, you know. Uh, I'd like to see the um, the actual gains that you get from from that. Uh, it's hard to imagine what two times faster app launches feels like because they already are, are kind of fast. But if it's twice as fast as it already is on my iPhone 10, then I mean I'm not going to complain. <laughs> So what do you think about the uh, the quick path keyboard? It's supposed to be a little bit like a swift key or something like that. Are, I, are I, yeah, I've I've used um I've used a keyboard like that on my iPhone. I've used the same a different uh, kind of keyboard on my uh, old Lumia Windows 10 device. Um, and it takes a a minute to get used to it, but once you use it a few times, uh, it kind of you kind of get used to it and once you get to that point it's it is a lot faster um it's pretty accurate i mean i don't know about this one in particular but i would imagine that it is yeah you know since ios 8 you've been able to download third-party keyboards yep. but you didn't have access to things like keychain when you do that mm-hmm. and i've i've tried like gboard and a few other things and yeah i always go back to the native keyboard because i feel like it's kind of hamstrung because of security concerns and key logging and that kind of thing um i personally don't really get into the swipe keyboard at least i have it on ios i have that note uh nine device and i i do use the stylus on there to kind of draw the words using gboard um Mm -hmm. i'll have to see how good apple's predictive text is uh I may use it on on the iPad because you know they showed it like a shrunk down mini version of the keyboard that would like just float near where your thumb is. Mm. And if you can quickly yeah. type that while you're like standing and using an iPad, that could be cool. Yeah, I could see that being useful. I was kind of happy to see that um Apple is bringing a street view like feature to Maps, you know, ever since yes. iOS 5, Maps has been slowly gaining features yeah and 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 improving Uh, i've never liked google maps i just the interface doesn't work for me i liked Mm -hmm. the update to apple maps in um i think it was i was 11 or maybe it was i was 12 that kind of it had the more like navigation elements down at the bottom i believe it was i was 12 no i think it was i was 11 i think you're right but uh, it, it just looks like there's way more contextual menus in Maps. Mm-hmm. And also it has the the new look around feature, which is like Street View. Did you see the demo where they were moving around? And Yeah, it's uh, it's seamless. It's, it's all stitched together in a way that kind of, it doesn't uh, disconnect images. It looks like you're really just, being flown through the street which is uh it's really slick actually yeah i liked the i like the animations and i also liked 
how when you went in front of a business or something, you could tap on it and get more information about it in that in that view. I thought that was mm-hmm. very cool. They added that, and they also upgraded how buildings and structures look from the top view. So it's a lot more detailed, and I think a lot easier to find um, certain businesses or or streets. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like they're using not only cars for all the street view and the lidar to find like the shapes of buildings and and stuff, but they're also using a lot of planes to put a lot of detail, especially in parks yes. and stuff like. You're able to see down to like the gazebo level, gazebo level mm. mapping. It's going to be welcome update. I mean, I, I like the, I like maps. I, I haven't really had any issues in the past couple of years using it. So I think adding, I think it's about time that they can add these in with it being a staple. Yeah. And I really like how they updated the privacy settings, especially concerning location so that instead of that dialogue box where you grant an app permission and then mm-hmm. you know it always has permission to use your your location or while you're using the app i like that you can just say just do this just once um that was pretty cool what did you think about the um apple or the login with apple feature or sign in with apple feature i thought that was really cool uh, what it does is, um, so whenever you're going to sign in to an app or something, it'll have uh, something similar to sign in with Google or sign in with Facebook, but it'll be sign in with Apple. Um, and it'll, instead of you getting all these spam emails from, um, from an app, which I, I get a lot, maybe not from an app specifically, but I get a lot of spam emails and any any less spam emails will be the right amount of spam emails, uh, and it will like create a random, randomly generated email address that will forward um, the information that you get from from the app. So you might not necessarily want information that this app is randomly sending you that you had to sign in with. Yeah, I think uh, it will. I think it will kind of piggyback on top of that unsubscribe button in mail, but yes, because it'll be going to like a kind of a proxy address. I hope there's some way for you to see that address so you can say, Hey, site X, you were, you, you were given this address and then you sold my email address. And now I know that you were the person who leaked it. And Mm -hmm by hiding your own personal address and putting that proxy in front, it, it, it kind of just, it's just like Apple pay, right? When you're using Apple pay, it just gives you a random card number on demand. And all these, all these little moves that Apple is making to anonymize your data and secure your personal information. I think in this world where we live so much of our lives in public, um, People are, you know, they not only have to think about what they're saying online, but but what information of theirs is being given out and if they're being tracked all the time. And I feel like any step in that direction is a welcome improvement in my book. Yeah, I mean, it's really nice to have a buffer between you and something that's trying to get your personal information. (laughs) 
So you can say like, Hey, you know, like you, you get a, a choice to say like, you know, I'll, I'll receive this, you know, whatever it is instead of, uh, it just automatically being in your email inbox. <laughs> yeah. I feel like Apple on the privacy front feels that privacy is a human right. And it's not like a feature of their app. It's just like, Hey, this is what our users want. And, um, I think there's, it's, it's a good vertical for them to, to go after because mm -hmm. yeah, everybody else is going after your data. I mean, why do you think BlackBerry was so successful when it was? Yeah. It's the same thing. Well, you, know, you want keyboard. something secure. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, but, uh, you know, the security thing, I mean, it was the choice for government phones because it was yeah. so secure. So yeah. I, I think that's, that's always been something that people, since technology, something, you know, like phones have been around, I think uh, technology is um, always kind of catered toward people who want a little bit more yep. privacy because there's a lot of uh, people trying to break that privacy. Yeah, so... So they added a, a lot of new camera features. So what'd you think about those? What uh, really caught my eye and my ear, because I was watching and listening, was the video editing. I mean, they added more features for photo editing, like noise reduction, sharpening, more controls that um, I use in Lightroom on my phone. But they brought all of those to video as well. So you can crop in, you can... Uh, put filters on your video. You can reduce the noise in your video, which I'm I'm really really um, interested to see because it takes a lot of processing to do that. Uh, I I mean I've reduced. I use um, uh, a, a denoising app on my on Logic or sorry uh, Final Cut, and I always do it last because it takes so long to render the video. And if you're shooting 4k video or even 1080p video and you're denoising and if it's longer than a minute then it's i mean that's a lot of processing power i know that that chips on these new iphones are are really fast so i just want to see like how well it it can do something like that or even put a filter on a video i mean it's gonna change a lot of a lot of people's media on their phone yeah i found that editing in in apple's camera app just for little small edits it's it's better than mm -hmm. any other platform that i've used for those those quick little changes and the fact that they're able to do that to video as well is really just a kind of a testament to their silicon design team and and all the work that they do creating these custom chipsets and i think when you're making your own processors you're really able to be in lockstep with your with your software development team and it allows you to really customize the hardware to support that software and i think this is this is just another notch in their belt and another area um that it really it really shows that advantage mm -hmm. yeah i mean i i'm, I'm really excited about it. I, you know i'm a videographer so i'm, I'm gonna test that out probably first <laughs> You can't upgrade the camera app without updating Photos app too. Because if you want to make beautiful videos and photos, you want to view those beautifully. And I think they did a really good job with updating the new Photos app, or at least 
the redesign that they they showed in the in the keynote. Yeah, I What did you think about the uh the new Photos app? I really liked it because it seems like they're taking more advantage of the screen. So I think that they were showing it in its dark mode iteration, but it really it felt more immersive to me. And I like the fact that, you know, there's the all photos tab, but then there's the places and albums tab. And when you click mm-hmm. on those, they're using some machine learning there to look through the photos and say, do you really want all these uh, screenshots or photos of whiteboards that you took or whatever right. in there and just showing you, you know, kind of your good photos, like surfacing your memories and mm-hmm. the the photos app is so important because we all have so many photos but what it really represents is like a repository of your history and those moments that are important to you and and that that focus is a welcome improvement and i think that coupled with all the editing changes and it seemed like they removed a few steps from from or you know a few taps from actually getting to the editing controls i i mean it's great i i love photos i use it every day so anytime they add new features i'm happy about it yeah i I mean it's kind of timely because the i think the day or no two days before um before this i was going through my photos uh all my photos and videos on my computer I had over 9,000 something, uh, way too many. And, uh, and so I, I went back all the way to the top, all the way to the, you know, my very first photos and I started deleting mass deleting and I got it down to like under, I think it was like 7,000 something. So I'm, I'm working on it. But when I saw that, I was like, wow. That's exactly what I want my photos app to look like. I only want the best, you know, certain photos. I have so many, so much junk, so many screenshots, so many downloaded gifts, and you know, I, I need to organize it better. I think, I think this will, this might help. I hope that they have a folder that's just like, hey, th- these are the garbage photos that you have. Yeah, and the stuff that the goofy things that you, you know, send to friends and stuff. Yeah, or like, hey, this is we already chose the best one, but here are 500 duplicates of this photo. Do you really <laughs> want to have all these, you know, and you yeah. can just trash those. It, yeah. That's, that's exactly what I need. That is what I need. Yeah. So I'm excited. Yeah. And then, um, the next thing they talked about was the AirPods. They're, they're bringing some new features to AirPods, including, um, shared, So essentially, like if you're watching a video on your iPad or your Mm -hmm. iPhone, two people can have their um, AirPods connected to one device, which I I think that's more of a function of Bluetooth 5, but also having that capability just like, you know, bring your iPhones together and whoever's playing something can share. That's interesting. I mean, I, I, yeah, I've always, uh, I've been sitting next to a friend. I was like, "Man, I want to show you this song." When I, I could, he could just move his phone over, and then we could transfer over instead of me having to send it through iMessage or something. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And then they were saying that um, 
Siri will go ahead and automatically announce your messages and then you will have quick replies. And I think that's really cool because it's like you, you have this robot that lives in your ear and any more functionality that they yeah. add to that is it's kind of just making yeah. it more and more of a cool little computer thing, you know? I mean, when you think of Siri, this is what you think about. You know, her doing things, literally sending a message for you and like reading it back. That's when I, when I think of Siri, that's, that's the kind of things I want Siri to do. Yeah. And they also did a demo of what they're calling the neural TTS voice, which how they, yeah. how they demonstrated this feature was they had Siri read the definition of absolute zero. And in previous versions of, of the voice that they use for the assistant, it is a human voice, right? And then it's kind of spliced together. Well, Google has already done this, but essentially now everything is an AI-generated voice. So it's using machine learning to more accurately put in the pauses and natural cadence of speech. And it sounded pretty good. Yeah. I, I think uh, I think it was probably the best voice assistant that I've heard. Yeah, it was really, really clean, um, really natural. I mean, it's also the cadence and it's also the inflection. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot more natural. And I think that's, I mean, it, it's it's uh, it's funny to hear like the, the, how it is now. It's a little more robotic. Um, but I think as Siri matures and, become smarter you're going to want to maybe more natural sounding siri yeah it's weird it's almost it goes as as these voice assistants go more robot they sound more human which is really interesting which is kind of scary i've been watching uh the terminator series yeah and uh it's when i was when i watched that i thought hmm i don't know about this yeah well we're not that far out are we brought to the table was a brand new os yeah sort and of i think you're going to be the most well yeah sort of i think you're going to be the most excited about it because you have an ipad and this new oper- operating system is called ipad os and it kind of makes your ipad more like a laptop yeah it does functionality yeah it totally does so for a long time Apple has been running iOS as a unified platform for the iPhone and the iPad. And that's that's a good thing, right? Because it's like so familiar when you're going back and forth between those devices. But mm-hmm. with the proliferation of iPad Pros and, you know, more people getting stuff done on the iPad, you get to a point where you need features for your iPad that are more specialized than the ones on the phone. So what they're bringing is a bunch of features that kind of make the iPad more of a uh, productivity 
little miniature always on workstation, which is really cool. So yeah, and I I think that's what they had in mind for the iPad this this whole time. And the whole reason this is the whole reason why I probably don't have a an iPad is because I can do mostly the same things on my iPhone. Well, your job. And, uh, well, your job is much more like specialized and you need some really pro apps and a lot of like power to render um, mm-hmm. audio, video, whatever it is for me. Yeah, so how's this going to change for, for, for you? Cause you use it for everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. So a, a couple of the things that they added were the ability for there to be two instances of one application at a time. So a lot of times in my job, I am referencing two documents, right? Let's say that I'm writing a contract. Well, in my company, we have a lot of like standard language for contracts. And when I'm building one out, I need to take blocks of text, whether it be concerning like deliverables or workflows or just like general terms or pricing structures. I need to be able to take that and put it in a new document and then reference you know the original document and um then open up another document and pull some some uh block of text out of there with ios 13 you'll be able to take multiple instances of an of an application and what that means is you can have like two mail two two mail messages side by side or two documents side by side, or you can have notes and your um, web browser or notes and um, you know, notes or it, mm-hmm. it, it's just basically having those multiple instances is super helpful. And they also made the, icons on the home screen more dense so they put them closer together and they're allowing you to um pin widgets to the home screen which is really cool because you know it's a much larger over from the to the right and it comes up on the left side is that right that's the gesture so you swipe over from the left and you can pin it to the left hand side of the screen yeah and i think that's a that's a that's a huge thing too because uh, I know when I think of using an iPad, I think of having one app widgets for some reason. Oh, yeah. oh, or yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, ideally, I would think of an you know, using an iPad or tablet and having more functionality to begin with, just because of the size. You know, you have more real estate to have something like that. Mm-hmm. Always, you know, per- persistent on iPad. Yeah, and it's really cool because you can even if you have two apps side by side, when you pull in a third app into slide over, you can flick back and forth in between. Yes. So what that, it's almost that like having, super cool. yeah, it's like having a little mini, mini iPhone on your screen or something, because that's kind of how you swipe yeah. on the iPhone 10 and then you can pull an app out of there and pin it. And it's just, it, it's kind of interesting. It They're making mm-hmm. it, the iPad, which used to be a, a unitasker, this incredible multitasker, and they're and they're using terms like multi windows and expose for apps. Like expose is a is a it's a Mac term, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I heard them use spaces. Like 
referring to your groupings of apps as spaces and all those are mac os terms so i feel like they're really like how can we slim this functionality down into a mobile platform and meet way more needs um which i think is ultimately good for not only people who like to use ipad but um for their for their market share and like you know, if you've got a sales team or or people that are just working with documents or you know journalists or something like that, it's 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 much easier to just give that person an iPad now that's always connected to the internet and can never get a virus. And it's like it's like you get a lot of benefits of like something like a Chromebook, but with real native apps. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot better for students too. I mean, imagine. Oh yeah, totally. Imagine this having this in college. You know, like. Oh yeah, it, it would have been much easier than lugging around on a laptop. And I think another thing that they updated that I think that kind of comes into play here is the files app. Yeah. It's Just huge. Being able to manage your files on your iPad in a much better way, which we'll talk about here in a second, but having being able to have files and then also maybe you're writing, you know, something in word or like some document and yeah, or like you're creating an email and you need to find, a video or a photo or something to attach like it's 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 much easier now yeah and and i mean they're bringing things like column view so you can get like a three column view of files and that's that's great and that's kind of a very mac like feature and then they're having shared folders finally yeah which i love that yeah i i i really kind of just pay for google drive just for just for shared folders. And if I can use shared folders in iCloud, then I can completely eliminate another um, streaming, or excuse me, uh, you know, storage plan that I'm paying for. Um, and, and they're also adding external hard drive support. So you've always been able to plug in a drive into your iPad and import photos. But I mean, sometimes you've got another document that's like, hey, I've got this movie on this hard drive. Or I've got, um, you know, some file that I that I just want to plug into my iPad and and either share it through another um, sharing service or just store it locally on my on my iPad. And being able to do that is is huge. And and also having shared folders makes makes iCloud just so much more useful. It, it's also great that you can both zip and unzip files. I mean, that's it. Sounds like kind of a an uncomplicated thing, but that was one of the few things that kept me from completely being able to work on, on iPad is because sometimes a client will send me a folder of documents that was too big for them Mm -hmm. to just send. So being able to unzip that or, or, you know, zip a bunch of documents on my iPad and send it to a client, it's huge. So, I mean, it's all about closing the gap between, something more like a, a laptop or a desktop environment in a mobile environment. You can get the same type of functionality, but in, in that mobile environment, I think you're going to widen your, your base for, for iPad, I think. And they don't, you know, they, they want to sell more iPads <laughs> and this is a good way to do it. I think. Yeah. And an, another part of that is, is Safari, you know, Safari on mm-hmm. iPad has always kind of been, a blown up iPhone app. 
So there are times when you go to a website and you've got this big screen and they give you the mobile version of the website. In the in the new version of Safari in iOS 13, you get desktop class browsing. So it defaults to giving you the desktop version of the sites. Uh, Apple's demo was editing, was excuse me, was um, was editing a document in Google Docs, which has previously been pretty difficult on iPad. And yeah. you know, being able to do that, it kind of uh, it makes it more of a competitor to again Chromebooks. So maybe that's maybe that's not only like an enterprise play and like just a, a play for consumers but it could be an education play because so many people use google classroom you know mm-hmm. um, yeah and, and and having a download manager is is really really key too so why don't you talk to me about the main event the <laughs> reason that we're all here to talk today yeah so Apple talked about uh, releasing a new version of the Mac Pro, previously affectionately called, or not affectionately called, uh, tra- the trash can. We know it well as a small desktop Mac um, called the Mac Pro. Wasn't universally well-received. It was still very... Um, locked down you can't you couldn't uh update anything so people complained and i think apple listened here because they made a modular uh mac pro it looks a little bit more traditional uh well not really but i mean form factor it's you know it's a big looks more like a desk desktop pc i mean it does look like a trash can yeah it, it i think it definitely looks like the cheese grater mac from yes from before i think they stopped production they did not stop production. You can still go to an Apple store today and buy a computer that has been around for longer than children. Like the children that were born when the Mac pro came out are now in kindergarten. That's how old this, that's how old the trash can was. Yeah. So yeah, it's, um, it's time. It was time. (laughs) Uh, but they, what they did was they actually listened to professionals of all different kinds of uh, backgrounds, photo uh, photographers, photo editors, video editors, uh, app makers, you know, the list goes on and everyone has a different need for a pro machine. Um, so it is modular, but I think the biggest play here is that, I mean, I'll just run through these stats. Up to a 28-core processor, um, up to, this is the, the most ridiculous one to me, is the 1.5 terabytes of RAM. Um, I mean, I don't know who needs that other than like if you're a server farm or something like that. <laughs> um, so basically, it's uh, it's really, really fast. And it also has, a uh, I think, a modified Vega uh, 2 graphics card that um seems pretty pretty badass and then uh, they also have a their own card called an afterburner card um which i am blanking on the details on that but oh, I know yeah. it it kind of does some rendering 
or it does some processing on its own. Yeah. So, so you can do some other processing on the the processor. Yeah, the totally. Card. So what the afterburner card does is it, it, it offloads the rendering from, from the processor. So like your, your graphics cards are outputting and then it goes to the afterburner to render. And, um, I'm not a pro, so I, I don't know a lot about this area, but what I can just from reviewing it, it seems like the, the previous generation of the Mac Pro, the trash can Mac Pro, was kind of thermally bound by its architecture, right? So it was kind of uh, inside the cylinder, the boards, like there were two graphics card slots and then like your main processor board and they were in a triangle shape inside. And because of that, you needed a really custom GPU. And I think, you know, Apple has these kind of MX units that they're calling that they're putting like graphics cards and other things in. I saw a 32 terabyte Pegasus RAID that you could plug in uh, Mm -hmm. to one of these slots. But basically what they're trying to do is they're trying to say, hey, we're going to kind of return to an older form factor, update it, and also you're not going to need to have fans on individual components because Mm -hmm. we have these three massive, hopefully very quiet fans that kind of (laughs) massive fans. Yeah. That's like leaf blower size air is what it's kind of touting. Yeah. And it kind of sucks air in through the front and pushes it out the back. So, so what do you think about the external case design? What do you think about the holes and, and you know the the stainless steel and all that. Mm-hmm. I heard a lot of complaints online. I don't really care, like necessarily what it looks like. I think it looks fine. I think um, functionally, it's it's pretty easy. You just kind of slide the case off instead of having to unscrew case, which I've had to do, and it's um, not as easy <laughs> or just more time consuming. Really, it's it's a little bit more annoying than just twisting something on top and pulling it off. It, it reminded me I a like lot of that. the G4 cube. I don't know if you remember that Mac, but you like pushed in a button and a handle came up mm-hmm. and then you could pull the whole uh, like square shape yeah. of it off. And it, it was kind of reminiscent of that. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I heard a lot of complaints about how it looks like a, you know, like a cheese square. Like, I, I don't care. Like as long as it works fine, you know, <laughs> actually it should work more than fine because, um, it's quite quite expensive, yeah. Uh, but for 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 good reason. It, um, but with some caveats that I'll get to um, later on. Yep. So, so you know the base configuration, which comes with, um, thirty two gigs of RAM, and uh, probably you know one graphics card and an eight. It's a five eighty X. Yeah. Yeah, and and a. It's like an okay graphics card. Yeah, and and an eight core processor. And it starts at uh, it starts as at at fifty nine ninety nine, and and so the configurator is not up yet, so we can't really see what the price will be. Um, but yeah, I know that's so sad about that. I want I want to try it out. But so I I read an article that was talking about how much just the uh, the twenty eight core processor costs. It costs eight thousand dollars. And 1.5 terabytes of this RAM 
if you were to buy that yeah. RAM, it costs seventeen thousand yeah. dollars. Yeah. So I would imagine. I mean, one point five terabytes is an incredible amount of RAM. Yeah, I think it would be. I, hard I have thirty two, and I. Yeah, I I I hardly ever fill up my thirty two. Thirty two gigabytes. Yes, gigabytes. Yeah. yeah. This is one and a half terabytes. Yeah, I I think that uh, what they made here is a server, you know, and 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 they also showed off a rack mountable like three U mm-hmm. server configuration, and they also have yeah. wheels. They have wheels, you know, in case you need to yes. roll that around your studio. All all, all those things are are going to be add ons, of course. So if, I'm mm-hmm. going to be really interested to see once we can actually go online and max this thing out. Yeah. What's your What's your estimate for how much it'll cost if you max it out? Uh, probably about forty grand. Well, minus one one item, but probably probably like twenty five grand, twenty or thirty grand. I don't know. I I think you were right the I, first I, time. I I think forty grand. Yeah, I think you'll probably be able to get it to to forty thousand dollars. Yeah, and I uh, mean, I th- what you, yeah, what you said about this being more for we I mean mentioned a few times being a server uh this thing let's put in perspective they did some uh examples you can do like so right now i'm recording in logic one track no problem if i did 300 of these tracks you know my computer might be struggling doing a thousand tracks is unimaginable probably um at the same time but with this you can there's no there's it's hardly a limit almost to you know reasonably what one person would be able to uh to do on this thing and that's and, just uh, voice if you were doing like yes. the digital instruments and you were doing like a bunch of like sound packs in there and stuff like that mm-hmm. and it a lot was, of processing it would if it were rendering those instruments mm-hmm. uh, i yes. mean it would I mean, it would grind yeah. to a halt fast yeah, I mean, for me, I for video editing, it would open up a lot of things for me. I mean, my Ursa Mini can shoot 4.6K uncompressed raw video, uh, but my computer can't edit that. I mean, a, a huge thing that they they uh, talked about was not needing um, proxy files, which are files that are lower quality that references the actual full quality uh video so you can edit on that and your computer will run fine and then but that creates more files and more that takes up more storage um so this will allow you to just edit any kind of high quality video yeah uh, that's that's i think that's huge that's good for workflow and good for professionals which is who this is for yeah, I I think they were saying something like three uh three simultaneous 4K streams or excuse me 8K streams, 8K streams or yeah. like 12 4K streams. 12 4K streams. Yeah, that's that's huge. I mean, that's Pixar level. The base model, I don't know how many people will spend $6,000 to then then also upgrade it because I don't know. The base doesn't seem like it's worth $6,000, but I think maybe some of the upgraded parts might be worth their price. Um, but again, it is expensive. The trash can started at 3000 
as the base model, I think. And then it worked away it, it up pretty pretty fast. But this is already twice as much, you know, starting out. Yeah, and and so I mean, you know, the Xeon, who buys it. Yeah, I mean, the yeah, Xeon processors that they're part. using are, um, those are server parts. You know, we're at $6,000 for the base configuration. We didn't even mention Just the no, fact. None of the 28-core processor, none of the 1.5 terabytes of RAM. With, you get a base with, with graphics a, card. You yeah, know? with a 256-gig hard drive, I mean, which is laughable. I mean, it's six PCI slots, so you can upgrade it, but you're spending six grand. Yep. Um, and, and, and so, you know, you're six grand in for the computer and we didn't even, we didn't even get to what are you going to do? Yeah, how are you going to look at all this yeah, great, yeah. awesome 8k footage? <laughs> well, Apple, Apple has, has a solution for that and they're calling it the pro display XDR. So why don't you tell me about this crazy display? Well, I won't go too far into detail about it, but Apple compared it to a $43,000 Sony display. It's so, a the Mac the like Mac a reference dis- display. Yes, so it's ca- like the color is calibrated which uh, maybe a lot of people don't um realize I have a monitor solely um for color at at work and it's about $3,000 uh and it it is like perfectly calibrated so whatever came out of the camera that's what it, it it is being displayed on the screen. It'll look different on pretty much any other monitor, any other computer monitor. It'll change the color just a little bit here and there. Um, basically, it, this is calibrated in that way to where the color is a lot more accurate. Um, it's also 6K. Um, it's uh, supports HDR. It's, it's, but HDR, XDR. it's pretty much anything. <laughs> yeah, Pro Display XDR. Um, this is the monitor that that you that you want to get if you're gonna beef up your Mac Pro because you're it'll be able to handle actually showing you the full resolution of whatever crazy red camera footage that <laughs> you're shooting. Um, and it costs uh, five thousand dollars. So, really, but, this is kind of a game changer of a display. But um, but that, it, but it's not just five thousand dollars. So it's five thousand no. dollars for the monitor, and then for the if, monitor, yeah. And then if you want it, <laughs> if you want it to not just be in the box, fall down. Yeah, if you want it. Yeah, I mean, if you don't want to, like, oh, you want to hold it up and look at it. Yeah, yeah. So if if you want to get okay. the stand, <laughs> so they created a really great stand that allows it to to flip over the best into, stand of all stands. Yeah. It, no stand can compare. Yeah. You can flip it over and, and the monitor will instantly go into portrait mode and all this great mm. stuff. And that stand, it, it holds the display on with magnets. What, what does that got to be like $300? Like, like what? I I mean, it probably should come with There's it. No, right? mo- no more than five, $500. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Of course it comes with it. Right. Yeah, I mean, most of the time when you have a monitor, you you want it to come with a stand, but that's not what Apple did. The stand by itself is one thousand U.S. dollars, or one iPhone, or one, one iPad. I, my Pro. iPhone. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, it's there's a bunch of great memes that uh, talk about like what you can buy for a thousand dollars, and uh, it really puts it in perspective. I mean, it was like you can buy. 175 tickets to 
see uh, in, uh, Avengers Endgame, or you could get the Apple uh, Pro Display XDR stand. You know, like it, it, there's a, you know, you could do that with pretty much any kind of item, but it just put, really puts it in perspective like you're paying a lot on top of a lot. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then, so that's for the glossy model. If you want the matte display, that's an extra thousand dollars. So if you want the display with the stand, with the matte, it is a $7,000 monitor. Yes. I mean, but again, you're saving what, like 30 something thousand dollars if you compare it to the, the Sony monitor, which like, yeah, but I think if they made it $6,000 with the stands, no one would have said anything. Yeah. The way they announced it on stage was a disaster. Like yeah, they said, and it starts at five at 59 99. And then they're like, and if you want the stand, it's a thousand dollars, and literally the crowd gasped. They were like, <laughs> and not only Whoa? that, there's a Visa uh, component that allows you to connect it to like an arm desk arm, so you can like a floating thing. Those are not two hundred dollars normally. This is a proprietary mount, yeah, right, for the for this, and it's um. That's even two hundred dollars is 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 crazy, but a thousand dollars just to hold it up. And the thing is, I mean, if you're buying this display, you do not want a shitty Visa mount. But 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 so here's the thing: the people that buy this display, they're making a million dollar movie. It costs them yeah, it costs them a hundred thousand well, dollars a day for just the camera yeah. crew. So I mean, those people don't even really. Uh, they normally take the stands off and put it on their own arm, the desk arms mount, visa mounts anyway. So I think that's where Apple's coming from, but it still it fell flat. I think. I mean, that's that's kind of crazy. A thousand dollars. Also, also, you know, the new Mac Pro can support up to six of them. So, yes. So if you have just money laying around. This is the computer for you. Yeah. So, All, it, you know, we, we talked about that in like disparaging way, but this is a incredible piece of technology that I think will change a lot of like professional, like professional professionals uh, lives because that's, who's going to be able to afford it. Yeah. Or like a company that can use it for a server or something like that. And I think that's an interesting point that uh, they talk about a lot of people having to buy multiple computers to do certain processes of whatever they're doing a lot. This can do it all in a single unit that can, would take up like a few computers. If you need this computer, you know, you need this computer. And if you are going to, to spend that amount of money, it is going to save you time rendering and it's going to make you money. So if you're an average consumer, no, you're not going to buy this. I think that what Apple did with the Mac Pro is, you know, there's been all this like, please, Apple, give us a modular Pro computer. And they said, all right, we're going to do it. And they went so far to the <laughs> high end that they're like, this is the top, top of the line. Like, this is yeah. like really, really high end. But it, it it's kind of interesting to think, you know, this is all based around an Intel processor and and all the rumors 
point to Apple moving to ARM processors. So that could happen within the next five years. So if you're going to go out and spend, you know, possibly $40,000 on this computer, you know that you need it. You know what I mean? So I think it makes sense. I'm glad it's there. I, I always want Apple to have the top of the line aspirational product in their lineup even if it's not for me, I want those pros to be able to do their work on a Mac if they want. Yeah, to. and and someone like me, I could stick with a high end iMac or iMac Pro and be fine. You know, I think that's cause this is kind of solidified. This is kind of I was kind of waiting to see what the price would be on this, and I now I know, you know, it's not for me. <laughs> it's for very few people. Yeah, it's um, it's cool. It's it. I like the I like the way it look. I like the way the the display looked. Actually, it looks awesome. So you know, WWDC is a. It had its beginnings as a Macintosh developer conference, meaning uh, OS ten. So they did talk about Mac OS, but it was almost a footnote in this keynote was such a such a small tiny announcement yeah but there's some cool stuff that they uh that they announced uh, the new um the new name is uh catalina like the dressing yes or the wine mixer mm-hmm. if you've seen Step Brothers. uh i'm not even on mojave i don't think i haven't updated in a, in a minute uh, i'm pretty slow to update but um you'll probably update right away right yeah i most likely will um i i think that you know there's really only a a few core features that they added and they started by talking about what the future of itunes is and i i thought it was really funny when craig federighi was on stage and he was announcing uh mac os catalina he was saying you know, everybody is asking us for more features in iTunes. And he kind of went through <laughs> saying how it was originally to burn, rip, and mix CDs. Then they added uh, a music Good store. Then they added podcasts. Then they added videos. Then they added a way to manage your, your iPods and iPhones. And then he went on to joke and said, now we're going to add calendar and now we're going to add mail. And how will you switch between these apps? We're going to put a dock in iTunes. And it was just really funny. And he was like, no, we got a better <laughs> idea. So they're breaking yeah. up iTunes into a music player, which you can still uh, import CDs and it will translate your library and upload mm-hmm. them. And then um, they're breaking out podcasts. There's still be a store. Yeah, still be a store. And they're breaking out podcasts and uh the tv app so Mm -hmm. i think that's a good thing it's time yeah i've always wanted a podcast app yeah uh i mean in theory itunes makes sense like it's a little you know you go to one media app that can do it all but i think it's gotten to a point where you kind of have to start over and now that apple music is so big that uh people don't people don't really use iTunes 
in the same way that they did originally. And uh, I think with all the base that they have for Apple Music and how successful it is, they probably feel it safe enough to break it up. And I think that uh, I think it's a good thing. Yeah, I think it's definitely time. And um, I think that's definitely a welcome improvement. Um, mm-hmm. They also announced a feature called uh, Sidecar, which essentially allows your iPad to act as a as a secondary display for your Mac. And it's really interesting. So, you know, when you go up to the, to the, uh, uh, traffic light buttons, the red, yellow, and, and green, I think you'll be able to hover over the green. And if your iPad's nearby, it'll essentially use handoff to hand off the app. And if you're using a pro app, like, uh, illustrator or Photoshop or something, you'll be able to use your Apple pencil, just like, uh, like a Wacom tablet. Yeah, that's going to be super cool. And another reason why maybe I should get an I- iPad. <laughs> you should get an iPad. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the other thing they announced was Project Catalyst, which has been floating around under the under the you know code name of Marzipan for a, a long time. But mm-hmm. I think the Catalyst and Catalina, I think they're kind of playing off that alliteration and and essentially you'll be able to you know in xcode uh translate your ios binaries into a mac compatible version and yeah i I think you'll get i think twitter said i think twitter said they made their mac app in like two or three or three days yeah (laughs) and 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 it also allows you to um get a lot of the system stuff for free so like you know some navigation elements the dark mode support all that will be running on both your iOS apps yeah. and your and your Mac apps and I, I mean Yeah, I mean just imagine how many iOS developers there are out there. Yeah. Yeah, they're leveraging that huge developer base. And I think, you know, there's they said that there was a million um iOS apps. So I think if those are brought to the Mac in a good way and they are still kind of respectful of like, you know, the navigation bar at the top and the menuing system, I want it to feel native, but I want it to also have the, the reach into all those million, uh, iOS apps, but I still want it to feel native to the platform. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. You, you want a little bit of compartmentalization between your devices. Um, but being able to, work together and use them like that, like, like sidecar, especially like right now I'm using logic. And if I had my iPad, I could control maybe the volume of the track that I'm using right now or something like that on my desk that's being used on my desktop, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it is cool. I I wonder if you'll be, this sounds weird, but what if you could open FaceTime on your Mac, but then send it over to your iPad even though the iPad has FaceTime. I don't know. There's still some things that we'll have to see how it's going to work, you know? Yeah. It's like super handoff. 